Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to begin uh, with the question, and I think this is a very relevant question to every one of us. Have you ever been wounded by a relationship at home, work, or at the world at large as you're just going about your everyday driving uh, in the subway, traveling? Certainly, the answer is yes. We've all been wounded. We've all been hurt. And if we're honest, then we'll also admit that we've also hurt people. We've also been the cause of wounds in other people at home, work, and in the world at large. Generally speaking, I'm sure that many of us have experienced the hurt of being blamed. And some people are so skilled at blame shifting and making themselves never look in the wrong and always making you look in the right. Uh, And that happens at home, at work, and in the world at large. And very much closely related to that is often what I'll just call an oppressive power dynamic. In our relationships, oftentimes there's someone who's more controlling, who can bark louder, and therefore because they're more louder or angrier, they can threaten and control and manipulate the situation, and, and then someone is kept in their place and kept silent. And that often leads to feeling like being used. And you're just um, a little pawn, a little servant, a slave to whatever system is going on at home, at work, and in the world. And ironically, in the midst of all that, we still attach ourselves to people. We still remain with certain people. And, and, And the irony is that we allow for unhealthy attachments in our lives and unhealthy relationships. Now, I start off this way because... Um, having dug deep into today's passage, I really believe this birth narrative of how Jesus was born, uh, this part of the Christmas story, it really speaks hope to broken relationships. And so I'm, I'm assuming that's all of us, that we want this hope. If the gospel truly offers this hope to begin to heal and mend our broken relationships, then I want to pay attention. Now, before we move on then, Let's just be honest, I've already mentioned it, but to some of us, there's a pink elephant in the room, and that pink elephant is the virgin birth. Now, I I will um, just, I'm not going to get into it right away this moment. I will address it later on in the sermon. But for now, if you'll just open up your heart and mind with me, and to take a step back and more to begin to consider the, the meaning, the significance behind the virgin birth, and it's this that Jesus' birth for God in writing his redemptive history, his story, and working it out, Jesus' birth begins to reverse the curse of Adam and Eve's sins. The first two human beings, 
and we go back to creation and where did broken relationships begin from? Why, where did hurting one another all start from? It all starts from Adam and Eve's sin and sin coming into this world. And Jesus' birth is so important and so beautiful and powerful and significant because it really is a significant milestone in a concrete beginning of reversing the curse and even hope for our relationships. And so I, I hope you'll learn to pray with me. Um, if you're joining us for the first time today, I like to summarize the big point of uh, the sermon as a prayer. And my desire for you as a pastor is that you could learn to talk to God because that's where the rubber of faith begins to meet the road of life. And if you could learn to pray this prayer, get the gist of this prayer, Lord Emmanuel, because Emmanuel is the name of Jesus that we learn. He has several names, but this is one of his very important names that we learn from today's passage, and it means God with us. And so you can address God as Emmanuel. You can pray to him as Emmanuel. Lord Emmanuel, God with us, let your presence, you being with us, continue to reverse the curse in and around me to eternal completion. Okay? Now, for the rest of today, then, I want to ask three more questions. First, how was God with us in the past? Next, what happened when God forsook us? God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But relationally, he forsook us when sin entered the, the picture. And then finally, what happened when God returned to us, when his presence returned to us in a, in a, in a whole way? So first, how was God with us? And I'm just going to give you a quick summary. We have to go back to the beginning of the Bible, and there's a wonderful unity to the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And even today's uh, birth narrative, when Matthew says this is how Jesus was born, it makes the most sense when we see it couched in the whole story of Scripture. And so I'm just going to give you a summary, a quick summary, of how God was with us wonderfully in the past. And it's a summary of Genesis 1 and 2. On that note, just as a quick side, if you want to, for, for the Christ follower, the world makes perfect sense. The world makes perfect sense for the Christ follower. When we look out onto the world and see all the goodness all the beauty of this world, it makes perfect sense because we see how God created this universe so perfectly that he said it was good and very good at the very end. But for the Christ follower, we, it also makes perfect sense when we look out and see all the brokenness and the evil in the world because Genesis 3, the first three chapters of Genesis 1 to 3, it is the blueprint of life. And so for the Christ follower, we, it, this, as we look out on the world, it makes complete sense why it is the way it is. And so first, a summary of Genesis 1-2 and how things were when God was with us. He blessed us with a perfectly fulfilling calling. And this calling had several facets. First, there was a perfectly fulfilling vertical calling. There was a perfect vertical from heaven to earth, relationship with God. So much so, we get a little piece of the picture in Genesis 3 that God himself looked forward to. He looked forward to the cool of the day. I'm not sure what part of the day that was, but the cool of the day, and there was this daily rhythm of catching up with Adam and Eve, of walking and talking with them, 
I experienced a little glimpse of that. Just uh, yesterday, actually, one of my children came to me and said, hey, Dad, can we go for a walk? We, I just want to walk and talk with you. I feel like we haven't caught up in a while. And, and to hear that from my child, I was busy with work, but I just dropped that right away because it warmed my heart. And I was like, okay, yes, let's do this. This is good. And, and, and so what I'm trying to get at is just the beauty of that little moment between a parent and a child. That's what was going on between God and Adam and Eve. And by extension, it was meant to be with us as well. And so all was good vertically. And that overflowed to a, a perfectly fulfilling outward vocation where there was a satisfaction to working hard. There was no such thing as the grind. There was no such thing as the man. There was no such thing as unfair wages. There was a joy and satisfaction to, to flourishing the world, to cultivating it. There was a sense of fulfillment in using every gift, every competency that we had and, and to produce fruit. And so there was purpose in what we did as well. And in the midst of all that, there was a perfectly fulfilling horizontal calling, relationships with other human beings, beginning at home, at work, and just as we go about the world. Imagine your home and your workplace with healthy communication, without friction, without short tempers, without conniving and cunning and so forth. And all was well in human relationships and that also led to a perfectly fulfilling sense of inward calling, that you knew exactly who you were. There was no confusion about who you were, and, and, and there was a wholeness. There was no such thing as self-esteem because we were just whole. We were just whole, and that's what God had blessed us with. And so I want you to get the sense with me how everything was perfect. It was and because God was with us perfectly. But what happened when God forsook us? We know, we go to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve, they fell into temptation. They disobeyed the one law, the one command that God had provided. And right from there, there was an immediate effect. It brought a curse into life. And part of that curse was that God forsook us. And all of that is explained in Genesis 3. And so just first as a quick summary of what happened there, you can go and I encourage you to go uh, to, to read that on your own. And if you don't own a Bible, you have, if you have a smartphone, you can download. Uh, just search in your, your uh, store, iTunes store or Android, uh, Google Play store, version or Bible app. Or if you'd like to take, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like to take a, a black Bible from the pew, uh, that is our gift to you. But as a summary, we became, first, socially narcissistic. That's just a fancy way of saying we became so self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish. And in fact, it all became, we became self-conscious to the point that where Adam and Eve were, were naked in soul and body, now they felt shame and had to cover themselves up. And one of the first effects when God confronts Adam and Eve and he's trying to get to the bottom of what happened we see blaming going on. He did it. She did it. She made me do it. He made me do it. You made me do it. God, it's your fault because of the person you put in my life. But part and parcel with that, that was just an effect of the fact that we became spiritually dead, meaning we became separated from God. And now by default, every human being, beginning with Adam and Eve from that point forward, and every other human being that would come into the world, the default handicap that we began with, that we begin with is that we're separated with God and our eternal destiny is condemnation. 
eternal condemnation, and the word that we don't like to use in the 21st century, hell. Part and parcel with that is physical doom. Because we are spiritually dead, now where we were once meant to live forever, we were supposed to live eternal lives, never to age, and to live healthy and whole and happy forever, now also physically we became doomed. Our bodies became susceptible to disease and sickness and aging and breaking down. And one day, our destiny is all to return to dust and decompose to the dust that we came from. Now, Genesis 3, it also gets at very specifically uh, another fallout of sin, marital dysfunction. You wonder why here, if you're married today or if you're single and you're doubting the, the whole institution of marriage and why would I want to get married when I see the marriages around me, why is marriage so difficult? It's a specific curse. It came as a specific fallout of sin. In fact, to get more specific, God explains clearly, now there's going to be this dynamic which explains all the millennia of the past that man, there will be something in them that is twisted that wants to domineer women, that wants to use them, objectify them, to rule them, to oppress them. And ironically, but sadly, there will be something in women, and it's, we observe it through all the millennia of history, that women play into that. Women are willing, because they desire the man so much, they're willing, to put it, crass, uh, crudely, uh, put it crudely, that they're willing to be abused. And so we see gender wars throughout all history. And another specific fallout, vocationally we became frustrated. The way God worded it is that now there will be thorns and thistles, and with toil we'll work the ground. and It'll be difficult to, to produce something good. And as we go on from Genesis 3 and the curse, we see very quickly that we became morally untethered, that anger and hatred, resentment, bitterness are creeping at the doors of our heart, and it just quickly translates to the first murder. And of course, part and parcel with all this becoming morally untethered, we, because we're looking for meaning in life, because we're looking for some sense of joy and happiness, we become sensually unbridled. We are trying to find any sense of pleasure and happiness, even if it's just physical and sexual and so forth. And I think to top it all off, the greatest, one of the, 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 the most difficult fallouts of sin is that we become temporally short-sighted. We just think about, in time-wise, just here and now. We don't think of long-term consequences naturally. We don't think of eternal consequences especially. Now, all of this... It leads to the backstory of Jesus' birth. And Jesus' birth, one way to look at these verses today, it's, it's a case study of the effects of the curse. It's a case study of the effects of the curse. And even Matthew, as now we get into the specific text for today, he begins this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He wants us to pay attention to all the lines, to all the details that he includes. And so we see an effect of the curse, this tension between love and sexism. And what I mean by that is just you go through history, and yes, there is this redeeming thread of a pure romantic love. And there is a good love story uh, through history as people fall in love with one another, but it's always been blemished by just the power dynamics between man and woman, of women being treated as objects and so forth. And even here then, we see this in between the lines when Matthew records very simply on the surface when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And so first here, 
just imagine, Mary and Joseph were ordinary, lowly, common people. And really, in history, if their names weren't in the Gospels, they, we would never have known of them. We know Joseph was a dignified, hardworking carpenter, a blue-collar worker. And so you imagine this young Joseph. He's just growing up like every other normal boy. And then he sees this woman that is attractive to him. And, and he falls in love with this Mary. And so here we see this wonderful love story. And he's intent. And the way betrothals and marriage worked back then, uh, the women were betrothed. The father gave the daughter to uh, the man that was courting uh, this, this, uh, his daughter. But even there, while there's this, this nice love story, in that one word, betrothed, is a weighty history of patriarchy. The fact that the father owned the daughter. The, just the, the black and white truth is, women were still property even during this time. And it was just what was going on during the time of Scripture and Abraham and all the patriarchs and where women were property. And so the fact that we see here that Mary was betrothed, it's in the history of where women are still being given away to advance the father's name or the father's status. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that this is still the effect of the curse, this tension between a pure love story but just the brokenness of history. Now, case in point, the, we're, we're still struggling with this, even in 2019. If you're following the headlines, then you'll know that the internet went on fire and, and this video, this 30 sec, just 30 seconds caused so much uproar in the Twitter world and, uh, and, and basically it was Peloton, which is a stationary bike exercise company and, and not to belabor the point, but uh, it's basically the story, this husband, this unwitting husband, gives his wife a stationary bike, exercise bike, for Christmas, and she records over a year, just selfie-videoing how this bike is changing her life. And then, for a whole week, there was just this backlash from a major segment of the world population. This is misogyny. This is dystopian. This is patriarchy, and the husband and the actor in, in this commercial became a symbol of all the negative aspects of patriarchy. And my point is this, that, that we are still broken. We're still dealing with all of this. And as, as a humanity, there's still all this baggage. I want you to see the effects of the curse. But another effect of the curse we see is that we're still sensually unbridled. And even the backstory of Jesus' birth has some of this between the lines. And so as Matthew continues to describe Jesus' birth, that he was born in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, so when they got betrothed, that was like equivalent to our modern engagement, but it was much stronger. They were at that point legally married. But their custom was to wait a little time period to fully consummate the marriage in the marriage bed. And so when Matthew is writing before they came together, now he's speaking, now that time came for them to officially consummate the marriage, though they were legally already married. That's just how betrothal worked. But he writes it in such a way that it's meant to uh, prick just a conscious of, of scandal. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. She was found to be with child. Now just imagine how that conversation went. Joseph, this young man, he's thinking of the love of his life. He is wholly attracted to her, in love with her, 
at every level, physically, emotionally, longing to spend the rest of his life where he's saving up, working hard in, with dignity to, to create a home for them and to provide. And then she says, Joseph, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Now, it's scandal because we, we understand that that's scandal because what we long for is the pure love story where there's fidelity and, and two people have absolute unbreakable commitment and only eyes for one another. But because we know in history, and even in our day, perhaps we even know people in our own lives, because of unbridled sensuality, because we just go by the whims of our desires, and, and we're, we so easily become, uh, we fall into infidelity and just doing whatever, just following our, our impulses. Now, Joseph here, he had one of two options. And we get the sense that Joseph, he was a faithful Jew. And, and he would have known the law. And in his mind, the reason why it says both he was a just man, but he didn't want to put her to shame. Him being a just man, he knew his two options. And he knew them from Deuteronomy 22, his scriptures. And it says here, if there is a betrothed virgin... And these would be the laws that his society, his Jewish society, would still have been living by. And we know that there was still stoning going on during this time. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones, both of them, both the betrothed virgin and the, the man who seduced her. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, meaning it was consensual. And so she was breaking covenant with the man that she was legally married to with, through her betrothal. And the man, because he was violated. He has violated his neighbor's wife. So Joseph's first option could be, who's the man? But obviously Mary was not saying there was any man because she was sharing with him, Joseph, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was visited by an angel and he told me, that I'm going to conceive miraculously, and this child is part of God's redemptive plan. Now, when you really take a step back, and for Christians who have grown up uh, in the church, just try to step out of your Christian upbringing and just listen to those words face value. It's, it's crazy. And if you're Joseph, how much more is that difficult to accept? Now, his other option, and the verse right after, but if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her and lies with her, basically raping her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. These were Joseph's two options. And Joseph, being a just man, having to live by these laws and also probably feeling a jealous anger because he can't understand and accept the explanation that his wife has given of her pregnancy. But we also read, because he didn't want to put her to shame. There was still something, I love you and I want to believe you, but I can't. And so he decides on the second option and just to quietly divorce. Now, in between the lines, what happened? Remember, we're, we're asking, what happened when God forsook us? The, there was curse and all the effects of the curse. Another effect of the curse is that there's unbelief in God in our hearts. 
That's something that naturally happens. Why are there so many people who don't want to believe in Jesus? Because in our hearts, naturally, there is something that doesn't want to believe in God. We don't want anything to do with God. And so even between the lines here, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And we just imagine Joseph's first response. And, and you and I, if we were in that position, the Holy Spirit, whatever, that's not possible. And something else we see in Joseph is, is, and we see it in the world today, another effect of the curse that we're caught between justice and love. You look out onto the world and mostly people are, you could generally categorize people that they want certain kind of justice and they want things to be fair. And then there's certain kind of people that just want to embrace and be open-minded to anything and everyone. And even Joseph being caught in between the middle And that's an effect of the curse because it's hard to marriage those two things together. And another specific effect of the curse, difficult marriages, just to put it very concretely and plainly. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Do you have a difficult marriage today or do you see difficult marriages It's an effect of the curse. And so even Joseph, he couldn't bring justice and love together. And the only choice he felt he had was to break this and to just experience more brokenness. Now, this middle part of the sermon is depressing, I know. And and it's intentionally meant to, to... I'm trying to get us in touch with the effects of the curse. But do not fear. Now we ask... How has God returned to us? And simply put, God returned to us through Jesus to reverse the curse. If any sadness, if any despondency, if any discouragement was pricked during this middle part of the sermon, when he began to ask, how has God forsaken us? Now, that is meant to be met with this gladness This is the gospel that God has returned to us through Jesus to reverse the curse. How does God return to us? Jesus, he is the fountainhead of finding lasting redemption in all our brokenness. And it begins with with how Matthew begins to lay it out. But as Joseph considered these things, the word there in the Greek means wrestling in the mind, pondering deeply. Joseph sincerely was wrestling with these things and trying to understand Mary's testimony. And so first, God is with the searching. If you're searching today, don't give up. Keep following that trail of searching. Keep following just the little clues that are being put on your path. There's even a prayer for those who are searching in the bulletin that you'll have an opportunity to pray later today when we observe the table. But let's be like Joseph, just as an example, to consider all these things, to consider the Christmas story, to consider Scripture. God is with us when we affirm, then, the revelation of Scripture. And we see this going on here in today's passage. So Joseph is considering these things, and God meets him. He falls asleep, and Matthew wants us to pay attention because he prefaces it with, Behold, 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, I don't want us to focus on just the dream because we can go, we can fall into a ditch there too. We become just mystical and looking for signs and dreams. And, and certainly, I believe that God does speak to some of us through pictures and dreams and so forth. But I'm not going to show you the, the, the wording. There won't be a slide for it. But what the angel did was, it wasn't just a, a vision in a vacuum. The angel was affirming Scripture. And so even if you are, the, if you are a person today that, that receives dreams and, and gets little insightful words as you're praying and pictures and so forth, it always has to directly and clearly, in a foolproof manner, line up with Scripture. And the angel was pointing to the fulfillment of prophecy, was pointing to Scripture, a promise that God made through his prophet Isaiah. And Joseph also would have known these Scriptures. And so God is with us through Scripture. That's why have a copy of the Bible. If you don't have one, take a Bible, download the Bible onto your phone and begin reading Scripture and ask people who are more experienced with Scripture and know how to read it through a gospel lens, through the lens of Jesus to explain Scripture to you. But that is when you'll begin to experience God being close to you. And God, we see here in a very comforting uh, manner, is with the ordinary. As I mentioned before, Joseph and Mary, if they weren't mentioned in the Gospels, we would never know who they are. And the fact, I mean, you think of all the powerful leaders in this world, and if God thought like them, God's choice of the two people through whom he would bring about his redemptive plan wouldn't have been Joseph and Mary. He would have picked someone with much more pedigree, much more uh, resume and, and so forth. But no, God, he's with the ordinary. And even the fact that he waits till this point in time in history to work through Joseph and Mary, these lowly, ordinary people. Now, God is with us as well. Just warning, I'm going to throw out a big kind of phrase to you, but it's such an important word, at least phrase to me, and I want to share it with you, and it's stuck with me ever since I learned it. God is with us by ex nihilo faith in Jesus, okay? And, and that's just fancy Latin for out of nothing. And what the Christ follower believes is that God created out of nothing. We even sang of it in one of the songs today, that from naught he created the heavens and the earth. And what we see going on here is a little picture of how God even created at the beginning of creation. As there was nothing, there was a void, and the Spirit hovered. And, and so when Matthew records here, for that which is conceived, which is created, and even this word, Jesus himself uses it later when he's speaking with Nicodemus, and he says, if you are going to be born again, created again, this same word of conceived, it's to be created from nothing. And what is created in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now let's be very clear and careful. God did not create Jesus. Jesus pre-existed with God. He was God. And there was Trinity God, Father, Son, and Spirit from eternity past and to eternity future. But what God created was the body, the, the sperm and the egg coming together that Jesus, as the second person, would enter. But it came from nothing. Now this is a little picture of even how faith is created. 
Are you burdened for a loved one in your life today? Have you been praying for them? Then we need to pray. We need to pray in line with Scripture. Spirit, please create faith in them. Please create Christ in them. Place Christ in their heart, just as you place Christ in Mary here. And so we come to the virgin birth. When Linda and I, we've had conversations with friends who, who aren't Christ followers, and, and when it comes Christmas time, they, they always ask. They say, you know, part, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but also respects, respectfully, and say, like, come on, do you expect me to believe that someone who didn't have sex could become pregnant? Like, isn't that what Christmas is all about, the virgin birth? And then we quickly remind them, well, do you believe in artificial insemination? And what I'm trying to get at is, I'm not saying that Mary was artificially inseminated. Don't walk away with that uh, wrong (laughs) point, okay? That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, artificial insemination is just one degree, one step towards that idea, that possibility Now, what it really comes down to is, do you believe in God or not? Because if God exists, and he is all-powerful, almighty God, creator God, and we believe he created ex nihilo, then this virgin birth is child's play for him. It really is. And it's just a repetition of the great act that he did to create out of nothing with his word. And so it really comes down to, do you want to believe in God or not? But God is with us as well then, with grace. And this part is so beautiful. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, which means saving one, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Christmas the beauty of Christmas, and just to use a winter analogy, flu season. We all are familiar with flu shots. And Jesus, in a sense, became the virus. That was, he took on sin, who knew no sin. He became sin, he, and he entered our body, our world, so that he could fight off sin as he himself became sin. That's what grace is. And and when you begin to see that God, he wants to come to be with us again, to be that close to us so that he takes on our sin. And that leads naturally to just even a bigger, just mind-blowing understanding of Christmas that God is with us and the way he's with us is he's recreating then fallen creation. And so this whole point, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so through Mary, there's an aspect of her purity that is important too, that God now, through Jesus, is recreating creation. Jesus is the very first person of a new humanity where Adam and Eve fell because of sin, and now you and I, as a fallout of the curse, are experiencing all the brokenness of this life, all the effects of the curse. Jesus is the very first of this new humanity, and he is born to represent that God is wanting to recreate fallen creation. 
You think of some of the places in the past months that were devastated by hurricanes, and you look at the pictures and just, just torn down, absolutely devastated towns, and you think of all the energy and the hard work, the effort that it takes to recreate that place, to rebuild that place, and God is doing that on a cosmic scale, and it all begins with Jesus. And so we think of Adam and Eve, how they failed how they rejected God's word. And even now looking to Joseph and Mary, they're a little picture of redemption. They're a little picture of redemption that whereas Adam and Eve disobeyed God's word, now Mary and Joseph receiving God's worth, trusting with a childlike faith, trusting and receiving God's worth, trusting it, and Joseph therefore not divorcing her, but taking her. And this Jesus, this Jesus, he is ultimately the one that came. And, and when we begin to see Jesus as, as God with us, that God loved us so much that he's willing to come into our existence and to recreate and to begin to reverse these things, where are you going to find the strength to heal a broken marriage? It's when Christ is in you and you begin to relate to one another by his grace. Where are you going to find joy in your work? When you realize that you're not just working for your company, but that you are working for God and to flourish this world as much as possible as a signpost to the final new creation. And we could go on and on and on and on. But basically it brings us back to this prayer that I want to leave with you. Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, let your presence continue to reverse the curse in and around me to eternal completion. I hope that can be your prayer. Amen.